stand in honor of the word of the Lord just for a few moments here as we read through these few scriptures. I believe that if you're here today and you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. If you need healing, God wants to heal you. Whatever you need, God is able to do it. Amen. We have a God that is able. We are not here on a Sunday morning just to check a box and say, well, I showed up in church on Sunday. You could go anywhere else in this city and have a good time, but there's nowhere else you can go and have the truth and and have your life changed by the word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's able to do that today, and I want to build your faith. I want you to begin believing even now before we even start preaching that God is able. Whatever I need in my life, God is able. He's not a God junior. He's not a God that runs out of power. He doesn't run out of strength. He's Lord of lords. The Bible says he's the king of kings. He's the great I am. Whatever you need, he's able to do it. I know that. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed thousands of people receive the Holy Ghost. I've witnessed people being healed. I've done all of that, and that same God, I feel his presence here today. He's walking up and down these aisles and in each of these rows, and he's just saying, just give me a chance. Whatever is going on in your life, just give me a chance, and I will touch you today. I believe that, and I know that by the end of this service, there is going to be a mighty outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and you will receive what you believe for. Amen? Amen. Amen. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And then we will skip down and read verses 20 through 23. 20 through 23. Very familiar scripture. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus at Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, whom thou lovest is sick. Verse 4, when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified thereby. Skipping down to verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary sat in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Thy brother shall rise. That's a confident Jesus standing there looking at that lady and saying, he shall rise again. Today, for a few moments, I want to speak to you on something I've entitled, you can live again. You can live again. Tell a person next to you, tell, tell, turn around and tell them, you can live again. Tell your neighbor that. You can live again. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to have his way. Lord Jesus, we ask you to have your complete way. Let us decrease, God, so that you can increase. We need the anointing. It's not the words on this page, but it is the anointing that will make the difference. And so we're asking for you right now to help us. In these next few minutes, in the name of Jesus. One more time, give somebody a high five and say, you can live again. You can live again. Tell them, you can live again. And you may be seated. 
We don't know much in the Bible about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. There are a few excerpts uh, in the scriptures that gives us a little background of their lives. It, it, it seems like they were well-to-do orphans who, it seems like they had the management of their own lives. There's never anything about a mother or a father discussed whenever you hear anything about Lazarus. I know that doesn't mean that they did not exist, but it doesn't seem that way. Furthermore, the eldest of the three, Martha, she appears to be the one in control of the household. Mom, dad, no one's mentioned. And they seem to be affluent because they live in this house that's big enough to accommodate Jesus and his disciples. And, and they're having these events seemingly in their house. So there seems to be some kind of wealth somewhere. But it doesn't seem like they have an occupation because they're home and they're, and, they're, and, they're, and they're entertaining Jesus and they're doing things like this. So it doesn't seem like there is much of an occupation happening there. But there is a special gift, not something that costs everyday money, that, but Mary was, afford, was able to afford some expensive perfume. We don't know. How was she able to do this? There's no mom and dad spoken about. We don't know where. But somewhere she was able to afford some kind of expensive perfume because we read in the Bible where she walks in and she, 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 she lavishes Jesus with this as her worship and as her praise. Furthermore, it doesn't seem like they're married, which is pretty unusual in this time because by the time of the age of 20, most people are married. But the Bible doesn't say anything about their spouses. It just talks about the three of them. So we don't know. One Bible commentator says the reason why, uh, one of the reasons is they might have been quite young. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus could have been teenagers. And they could have been at some point orphaned in their lives. Or they might have lived on the outskirts of town somewhere. We don't know. But the one thing that we do know about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is said in John 11, verses 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. <clears throat> it does not matter what your life is like. It doesn't matter how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It doesn't matter where you come from or what's going on. The most important thing that you should know is that Jesus loves you. Regardless of your situation, you're, you're, you might be here today and you say, preacher, you don't know my background. You don't know what's going on in my life. But this one thing I could tell you is that Jesus, in fact, the Bible says that he died for the sins of the world. No one can love you like Jesus can love you. I, when I, when I, uh, I, the love that I had for my wife when we first met, I, I said, man, this... I, this love, it start, I started to understand the love that Jesus has for us. I, 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 I wanted to, to just be there and to be close to her. But then when we had our son, I experienced love in a whole different way. It was a kind of love that it was even different than my wife. Thank you, sir. I, I, I not only loved him, but I felt like I wanted to just be there and protect him. And I felt that he, in his helpless state that I was the only one in my wife that could be there for him and protect him. And that showed me the love of Jesus for us. That's how much he loves us. 
It doesn't matter who else in your life might not care about you, might discard you. They might say, you're nothing, you're worthless. Understand one thing today. The love of the Father is for you. He loves every single man, woman, boy, and girl in this place. Regardless of your background, regardless of where you came from. So the Bible says that Jesus loved these three. They had a close relationship. But now Lazarus is sick. And the Bible says that the Lazarus, as he is ill, Mary and Martha send for Jesus, asking him to come. They, they send to Jesus. Actually, I don't even know if they asked him to come. They simply sent for Jesus and said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. This is what it says in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, behold, listen to this, whom thou love. They understood. They knew. It's not just good to know that Jesus is love, but they knew something very specific that he loves us. We could go and tell everybody, "Come, you know, the God that we serve, he loves you. But there's something else when you could say, Jesus loves me. And so they sent to Jesus, and that's what they said. The one whom you love is sick. And now... They must have thought that, Jesus, you love us so much that undoubtedly when you hear that Lazarus is sick, that you are going to come right away and you are going to help and you're going to heal. You're going to do whatever we need for Lazarus. But when Jesus receives a message of Lazarus' illness, the Bible says he does not come for four days after. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. How could Jesus be so seemingly unsympathetic about his friend's dilemma? You, 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 how, how could you say, Jesus, that you love these people, and here you have word that one of them is sick, and you decide to go take care of some other business before you make your way there? What is the reason for that? And we never know. We can never know. But we know that Jesus went to Judah to take care of some other business. But I'm here to tell you today. Sometimes it might seem like God is not ready. He's not hearing your cry. He's not coming. when. You, in fact, there are times in my life when I've asked Jesus for things and it seems like he wasn't working with my timeline. Seems like he wasn't coming when I thought he should come. Seems like he wasn't answering my prayer when I thought he should answer my prayer. But one thing I have learned that he might not come when you want him to come, but he will be on time. You might think it's late, but he knows the perfect time and when he needs to come to your situation. And sometimes we get discouraged and we doubt and we say, where is God? He knows what I'm going through. He knows my financial situation. He knows the situation in my family. I've been on my knees and I've called out to him, where is the deliverance from God? And we wait and we wait and we wonder where it is. And we think, we're tempted to think that he doesn't care and he doesn't love us. It cannot be so with God. He loves you, but he's got a perfect plan for your life. It's more than just having faith in him. It's having trust. 
Faith is knowing that he's God. Trust is knowing that he's got your situation under control and that whatever is happening, that he is the one that's leading and he is the one that's guiding. One songwriter put it this way, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. When you can't see what God is doing, when you're looking and say, God, I'm confused. Why are you doing this? Trust his heart. Trust that he loves you. Trust that he knows what he's doing. The Bible says in John chapter 11, verses 4, when Jesus heard that this sickness was unto death, he says this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. I can't spend a lot of time on this scripture, but many of us Christians, that's where we get stuck right there. Because we think that life is all about our pleasure. God, you have made me to make me happy. You have, you have created me to give me finances. You have created me to heal me. Me, It's all about me. But clearly Jesus is saying this thing that's happened is for my glory. And sometimes God will allow you to go through some trials, not because you're a bad person, not because he doesn't love you, but because he wants to bring glory to himself. How would somebody else know that he's a peace speaker if in your life there's turmoil and you could say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We've got to learn to trust God if even through the trials. There are people that are watching. I read a statistic recently where each of us, it doesn't matter who we are, we influence at least a dozen people in our lifetime. You might say, well, I don't talk to anyone much. I don't see really. But there are people that are watching your actions and your reactions. And when you say you're a child of God, they know the storms that you're going through. But when you have a resolve and when you have a faith believing, say, I know that there is a God, you are influencing someone. Likewise, you are influencing someone. When you're the one at work complaining, I can't believe my life. I never have money to pay my bills. I don't have this. I don't have that. My life, oh, poor me. You are influencing someone. But I want to influence someone for the good. I want to bring glory to Jesus because I know that he's got it all under control. Delay does not ever mean deny. It is sometimes designed to bring glory to God. I've looked over my life. And I've seen when God didn't show up when I wanted him to. But I could see that his perfect timing was what was happening in my life. And it brought glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I do not want my life to bring me glory. I do not even want my life to bring my church glory. Yes, we want to represent our church, but that's not what it's about. I want it to bring God glory. Because I know that in my life, there are times when I make mistakes. I know that sometimes church is not all that we want it to be, but him, he's always the same. Yesterday, he's steadfast, unmovable. That's the God that we serve. And so here it is. Jesus comes, and he's four days late. Maybe, perhaps, Jesus waited four days because there was a Jewish superstition of that day that said this. A soul, after a person died, a soul stayed near the grave for three days, hoping to return to the body, hoping for perhaps some kind of resuscitation or resurrection. 
But after the fourth day, that soul would depart, and there was absolutely no hope for resurrection after that. Maybe Jesus knew about that Jewish superstition, and he came deliberately that way to show what you think is impossible. I'm going to show you that everything with me is possible. Maybe that's the case. And so Jesus gets there. And in John chapter 11, verses 22, Martha says, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask about God, he will do it. Martha begins to exercise some faith. And here's what Jesus says. He says, Your brother will rise again. He will live again. So Jesus comes to the tomb. And when he comes to the tomb, he has a very strange request. He says, roll the stone away. You know that why that was a strange request? Because maybe Mary and Martha in the back of their mind, if they thought that Jesus was going to raise their brother, that he might have done it and just spoke while he was still back there in the tomb. Because this way, now when you roll the stone away, there's no more stench. Do you know what happens when a body starts to decompose? After the first day, after the, I'll spare you the gory details. After the third day, after the fourth day when it's in the tomb. The decay and the decomposition that begins to happen to the body. It stinks, it smells, it's not a pleasant sight. So Jesus, you come on the scene and you're saying, roll the stone away. Why? So we could smell that? So we could see that? So we could witness this gross thing that's before us? And no, that's not why he did it. The reason why he did it, he wanted them to exercise their faith. It was Martha that said, Jesus, he's been dead. By this time, there is such a stench there. Jesus said to her, did not I say to you that if you would believe, here it is, that you would see the glory of God? Did not I say to you if you, in other words, Martha is saying, Mary and Martha are saying to Jesus, you don't understand what you're getting into. And Jesus is turning around to, to them and saying, you don't understand who I am. Because no matter what it looks like and how bad it looks, I am here. And once I am here, all things are possible the same way it is today. So what did they do? They obeyed the command of Jesus and they rolled the stone away. As they rolled the stone away, Jesus begins his prayer. And at the end of his prayer, Jesus, the Bible says, cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible says that Lazarus walks out of the tomb. And he's got grave clothes on him, but he walks out of the tomb. All that decay and all that decomposition and all that, it doesn't seem to be there because he's walking out and now he has been made whole. Folks, this is not just a fantasy story. This is a reality. This happened. Here is a man that was in a grave for four days and he walks out. And he has been completely made whole. He walks out and he is completely alive. Amen. Amen. Today, ladies and gentlemen, the story of Lazarus 
is the story really of all of us. This story could be spun in so many different ways, but when you look at the core value of this story, it is about you and I. It's a message of salvation. It's a message of a people who were ruined by sickness and disease and sin, even to the point of spiritual death. But one day, Jesus came and called our name, and whatever your name is, he said, come forth. The Bible says that sin is a disease. Sin destroys our lives. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5, the Bible says, And you, listen to this, he made alive who were what? Dead. He said you were dead in trespasses and sin. He said in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of this air, the, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But here is the good news in the next verse. But it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with he loved us even when we were here's the word again dead he said even when we were dead he made us alive the story of Lazarus is the story of all of us we were all dead in sin but one day Jesus made us alive by filling us with his spirit the Bible says, for he raised us from the dead along with Jesus Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. We have to understand that sin destroys. Sin kills. Sin destroys our lives. The world is in the problem that it's in right now simply because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought sin into the world. And all the diseases and everything that's happened in the world, it's because sin but thanks be unto God that we have an answer for sin the Bible said that Christ died for you and I so we no longer have to live bound by sin if you're here today and you don't think that sin has you bound you have to look again and you have to ask God to open your eyes people used to tell me when I was a young boy young teenager going to, to church you have to go to church for two and a half hours on a Sunday. You have to do this and you have to do that. And those are the same friends that I would have. I would see them every chance we got in school. They would be out by the bleachers. We had some bleachers that were a little bit away from the building. And they would be out there. It doesn't matter if it was below freezing. But they would have a cigarette in their hand. And they'd be shaking and they'd be smoking that cigarette. Why? Because they were bound. They had addictions. It was and not necessarily their fault, but they just had that sin. That's what sin does. It comes into your life and it draws you to addiction. And they were bound, and they and it, it, it was it was so interesting that they were telling me that I was bound, but they didn't understand what was happening in their lives. I would listen to their stories after the weekends. They would come to school and they would tell these stories about how they got drunk and, and how they threw up and how and, but they could and, and they would say how sick they were. People say, I, got, I had such a headache, I had such a hangover, I couldn't walk the next day, I couldn't stay in bed the next day. But sure enough, when Friday night came, they were going to do the same thing. You know what that means? They were bound. They were bound. That's what sin does. 
Sin binds you. You can't get away from it in your flesh. But Jesus gives you the power to overcome sin. That's why you need the Holy Ghost. That's why you need Jesus in your life. That's why you need to call on the name of Jesus. There's no one in this room, including the person holding this mic right now, that's able to live a life of holiness apart from God. I grew up in the church. I was raised in the church. I was born. All I know is apostolic Pentecost. That's all I know. But with all of that knowledge, Dean, this guy by himself, I cannot live a holy life. I need the Holy Ghost. I need Jesus in me. And so this is the story of Lazarus. I was once lost, but now I'm found. I'm dead. He was blind, but now he sees. The Bible says in John 10.10, as I come to a close, the thief does not come except to to, to steal, rather, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Listen, when Jesus told Lazarus, to come out of that tomb. He was not saying, Lazarus, just come out and just barely get around. Lazarus, I want you to still stand next to that tomb. Don't go any further from, just stand right there. He said, no, no, because we read further in the Bible where Jesus is in the home of Lazarus and, and he's talking to Lazarus. He gave him not only life, but he gave him abundant life. Jesus wants to give you not only life, but he wants to give you abundant life. You can be made alive when you repent of your sins and you're baptized in Jesus' name and you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is the only way. This is the only truth. This is the only life. It doesn't matter what your past was, but Jesus wants to make you alive again. It doesn't matter. Give him your shame. Give him your guilt. Give him your pride. Give him your unbelief, whatever it is. He will take all that you give him, and he will give you a brand new life. Our purposes, feelings, desires, and understanding are fresh and different. We see the world differently. It's the message of salvation. God wants to fill you with his spirit. The word Lazarus, the name Lazarus means God is my help. Everyone in here today is Lazarus. Remember I said the story of Lazarus is the story of all of us because we need God to be our help. He's still changing lives. This is not just a community center that we come to. This is a life changing place. Put up that first picture, sir. Come to a close. This lady, that's my wife on the left, on the right, a lady by the name of Virginie. She came to our church two months out of a mental institution. She had some mental health struggles. Even when she left, she still had no answers. She walked into our church, and God touched her that first day. And after church, I went to her and I told her that I know God touched you. And I offered to give her a Bible study. We began giving Virginie a Bible study. That Bible that she's holding in her hand right now, we bought that Bible for her, Pastor. This lady's 30-something years old, living in France, a free country, and she never owned a Bible before in her entire life. This is not an access challenge nation. This is France. 
but she was, didn't have any relationship with God. And she was having a mental breakdown. Her life was a complete mess. She had all kind of domestic issues. Her life was a total mess. She came to us. We started giving her Bible study over Zoom. And we would travel out to her apartment. And we'd give her Bible studies. And we'd talk to her. And we'd say, listen, Christ died for you. You don't have to stay like this. But he can make you brand new. You can start over again with a brand new slate. All your past can be gone. He can do this for you. And you know what? She started to believe it. And when she started to believe it, she got baptized in Jesus' name. And she was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking with other tongues. But it didn't stop there because she started telling her co-workers and her family and her friends that you've got to know what God has done for me in my life. He's changed my life. He still changes life. And so right before we left France, so the next picture, because of Virginie, there's a church that started now because God can change lives. He gives you life and he gives it to you more abundantly. He does not just fill you with spirit just you, you can hang on. But here is a lady now that she has a few dozen people behind her. Why? Because Christ changed her life. Next picture. This lady that's being baptized right here. You might not be able to see it so clearly. This lady was born and raised a Muslim. She lived in a Muslim camp and she was told that what she had to believe, she had the, the belief, of, belief of Islam. But one night as she was sleeping, listen to this folks, she had a dream and the dream that came to her told her that I am Jesus and I am God. No one told her. She didn't read a Bible. No one witnessed her. She didn't have a pastor. But she got a dream that Jesus is Lord. So she comes to our church and she says she she looks, she starts looking for churches that believe that Jesus is God. And she looks at for churches and she finds the address of our home church. It's around the corner from her house. It's in walking distance from her house. So she makes her way to the church. And she talks to us. My wife and I meet her. And she starts asking us about different beliefs. And we said, listen, we can give you a Bible study. So we started giving her a Bible study. When we were giving her a Bible study, we started talking about the oneness of God. And she stopped us right there. And she says, everything that you just said is everything God told me in my dream that he is. God is changing people's life still today. Her name is Nabintu. This is Nabintu right here being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now she sings on the choir. Now her children have come. They've got the Holy Ghost. Her husband's come. He's got the Holy Ghost. God is changing lives. He's still doing it today. You can come to the instruments. The story of Lazarus is the story of all of us. Next picture. A young man that's being prayed for right now. When we lived in, this, in the city of Fontainebleau, God told us that there are people here in this city that need you. I had a burden for it. We had gone to France. I, I can't get into the whole story. I, we went to France and, folks, my son was born in France. He was 
When we went to France, my wife was eight months pregnant. We had no doctors. We had no insurance. We had none of that. We were going by faith. And when we got there by faith, this is how God works. None of the hospitals would take us because she was eight months pregnant. They had no prior history with her, so they wouldn't take her. So we get to this city called Fontainebleau. And the doctor there says, I will take your wife. The doctor there takes my wife. She gives birth. He, she gives birth in the city of Fontainebleau. As we're driving back and forth to that city, doctor visits. God begins to give us a burden for that city. As God gives us a burden for that city, it starts to grow and grow. Finally, we said, okay, this, this is God. We've got to move there. We moved to that city. We enrolled him in a school there because we said, God, there are lives here that you want to change. We really believe that. After the first couple of years enrolling him in school, nothing happened. We thought that by enrolling him in school that we'd have, we'd meet the parents and we'd be friends. We'd be teaching Bible studies. People would be getting the Holy Ghost. People would be getting baptized. None of that happened in the first two years. Nothing. Not even one Bible study. And so here we are asking the question now, is God still able? We're talking to people about God and they're not responding. God, are you still able? Are you still God? Are you still the God of Lazarus that is able to raise people from the dead? Are you still that Jesus? Or have we missed something? And we continue to plow. And then finally, God opened the door as we met a young lady at the market. She had moved from Lebanon and she was going to acting school in that city. And we began to speak to her. And she says, I've got some Christian background, but I'm looking for a church. I'm looking for some Christian people. And we began to give her a Bible study. She went back to her acting school and she started to tell her friends about Jesus. They came and they started, we started having Bible studies in our apartment. Our apartment got too small. So you saw in the video, we had to get a, a, a place on the main street that we would rent. And here it begins. God starts doing what he does best. He says, you just believe in me and trust me and watch me do the rest. So we start having meetings in this, this room, it's a storefront. And all of a sudden we start meeting people in the city and we're talking to them about God. Then you've got four people in the storefront, five people, 10 people, 12 people. At one point, there were 20-something people that have never heard about Jesus before, many of them. And now they're sitting in our little storefront, and they're sitting there with a Bible, listening to the Word of God. He's still changing lives. He's still changing lives. And then one of the kids from the high school, he used to go to our mother church, but he stopped going to church. He found out that we were in Fontainebleau. He goes to school in that city. He came by and he told us, listen, I started a Bible study in my school. They, doesn't, they don't give us a place to meet to have Bible studies. Can we come to your little storefront and have our, our Christian Bible club from our high school? We said, sure. He came and he brought his friends, maybe about six or seven of them. He came on a Friday. They started having Bible study. And we said, this is the deal. You come for Bible study. You teach three weeks. They came every Friday. You teach three of those Fridays, and we teach one week. You teach three times. We teach once per month. Okay. They came. They taught their Bible studies. 
first time we got a chance, we opened the Bible and we started telling them about Jesus. And they said to us after, we don't want to teach anymore. We need you to teach because what you're telling us is changing our lives. We have never heard this stuff before. We know we've got church background, but this stuff that you're telling us, we've never heard it before. So since then, we have been teaching. Fast forward to this picture. Dozens of kids are coming through every Friday at 3 o'clock. Dozens of kids are coming through. They're hearing the word of God. We're teaching them. This young man's name is Matisse. Many French, indigenous French people don't want to have anything to do with the gospel. Most of the church in France are immigrants, second, first, second generation immigrants. That's most of the church. The French people don't really want to have anything to do with the church. But here's Matis. I don't believe that that's the plan of God. I don't believe God is exclusive yes. to any culture. I don't believe God is exclusive to any people. The Bible says he died for the sins of the whole world. So don't tell me the French people don't want to have anything to do with God. I know that there's Amen. a void in them that only he can fill. And I'm going to go after them. So we're, we're reaching out. This boy, Mattis, he's a French boy. He walks into the Bible club on a, on a on Friday, and he declares, I'm an atheist. You know what that means? I don't even believe that God exists. I don't believe anything about God. I don't believe anything about Jesus. I believe that there's nothing like that. Well, the first Bible study, he begins to hear about God. The story of Lazarus is a story of all of us. Yeah. Dead to anything spiritual. Yeah. He was dead to anything about God. But then the word of God, Lazarus, come forth, started getting into his heart. And he started to say, something is not that Something is different here. There's something different about what I'm hearing. Yesterday, I got, we got this report. On Friday, Matthews came to Bible study. And at the end of Bible study, he was asked if he wants to receive the Holy Ghost. Here he is standing here right now, being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. From being an atheist, from being dead in sin and trespasses, to hearing the voice of the Lord, and now he's filled with the Holy Ghost. Next picture. This is him now. Bible in hand. He wrote a whole, I don't have time to go into it, but he wrote a whole thing to us about how God is beginning to speak into his life. The story of Lazarus. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the story of all of us. Stand with me. The presence of the Lord is here in such a strong way. I know that there's some of us that we have experienced the life-changing power of the Holy Ghost but because of life circumstances somehow we've allowed ourselves to drift back into the doubts and to the unbelief and maybe even drift back into a lifestyle that we know is not really pleasing to God but can I tell you to you that's the story of Lazarus also because remember the Bible says that Lazarus had a very close relationship with Jesus but now he's in a tomb and he's dead but you can also live again. Because just as he called Lazarus out of that tomb, he stands here right now and he says, whatever your name is, come forth. I know that you have doubts. I know that there's some circumstances that's happened in your life that's caused you to doubt. But you can live again. Jesus. 
Remember when you used to be consumed with the gospel. Remember when you used to love God. Remember when you used to love to pray. Remember when you used to love to entertain the presence of the Lord. Remember when you would just drive in your car and speak in tongues. When you'd just be in your house speaking in tongues and feeling the presence of the Lord. You can live again. Yes. If you haven't experienced that in a long time, Jesus. you can live God wants to touch every person in this room today. He wants you to experience his peace, his love, his joy. He wants you to experience that. There's no reason why you should walk out of here without having that experience with God. God, I made the effort. I got dressed. I came to church. I might as well get what you want to give me. What's the sense in coming and leaving and not getting what God has for you? Eyes closed. I want to pray right now. God, have your way. We have a few minutes left. I'm aware of the time. We have just a few minutes left. But in these next few moments, there are going to be mighty things that's going to happen. I want you just to pray right now. I want you to pray a prayer for yourself. God, open my heart right now in these next last, in this last few minutes. Jesus, I need you. Come on, pray a Pray a very selfish prayer right now. God, I need you. I don't know what my neighbor is going through, but God, I know I need you. I know I need you. I know I need you. I need a touch from the Lord. In the name of Jesus. This is what I want you to do. If, if you're in this place today and you say, I, I, you know, preacher, 